All right, good morning, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to Proverbs 15, that's where we'll be today, 15. Had a great week uh, last week with Operation Christmas Child. I think we got 220 is our final count. Is that right? I think. Which is great, which means we, we won, which is all that matters. No, everybody did a great job. It was wonderful. And thanks for all your help packing the stuff. It was fun to sit with you guys and hang out. Um, we'll start talking about Christmas schedules and things like that a few weeks from now. I think it's a little early to run through all that, but um, we do have a candlelight service, and then we'll also have the, uh, but no Christmas Day service, obviously, because that's Monday. So anyway, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for uh, this morning and the opportunity we get to spend in your word. We've already sung and prayed and fellowshiped a little bit, and we just pray that you'd help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, and uh, I pray that you'd teach us today, God, in Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 15, you'll notice a, a common theme, and I think, uh, uh, and I'd, I'd try not to draw it out just for the sake of making a theme, but there's a lot of feelings in this, um, talking about feelings and not having your feelings rule you, but also not ignoring the fact that you're created to have these feelings, and I think that's very important. In the church, uh, we have a tendency to have, be in pendulums that swing, you know. And uh, depends on what season we're in, you know, or whatever. But um, the, the pendulum that, that can swing sometimes is we walk by faith, not by feelings. You know, that's the big, that's been going on for 15, 20 years now. And, and uh, I think it's, it's, that's fine. I think that's true. It obviously came about because uh, people were only going by feelings and not by what the Bible says or what God's word says. But I think it's very important to know that God made us in his image and the feelings that we have and all that, that is expressed through our through our feelings is, is by design and by God's design and very important. Um, and to not deny those things as if that's some sort of weakness or some sort of fault or flaw. So I think as we go through this, uh, the, the writer here trying to teach his son to have control of his feelings um, is very important, but to not neglect the fact or deny the fact that you have them. In verse 1 of chapter 15, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. It was one of the first verses, one of many verses that I first memorized when I got saved, um, because that was an issue for me. You know, I, uh, and I think everybody has that problem. You like to one-up somebody if you ever grew up in the flesh and uh, were an un unbeliever, and someone says something to you, will you answer back? And that's the key here. The, the proverb writer is not saying that we start the conversation. He's saying, this is how you respond to an attack. That's important. Uh, how you respond to an attack can, can de-escalate things and bring things back down again. And so a soft answer tur turns away wrath. So it may start off with wrath. It may start off with anger, resentment, whatever it is. There's a lot of emotion coming from the other side. Your response as a Christian should be a soft answer to see if you can bring it down, to be calm and collected in the situation. I'll give you an example of that. In Judges chapter 8, Gideon gives a soft answer to his brethren. Um, there's a bunch of brothers, you know, they're all from different tribes. Well, the tribe of Ephraim felt slighted. This is right after the big story uh, where he had too, Gideon had too many men and had to part, pare it down to 300 men, and they all got divided up into groups and had pots and, 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 and jars and horns and, and torches, you know, and that's, that's all they had for weaponry to defeat this army that was coming against Israel. And uh, so they did, and they won, 
But it was just those 300, but that was by God's design, and that's what the tribe of Ephraim didn't understand. They're going to complain about not being included. And all they got to do afterwards was to come in and take the spoils. And they're not happy with that. They wanted to fight, you know. And uh, they don't understand that God had told Gideon, that's not how we're going to do this one anyway. This one's going to be different. This one's going to be just 300 people. And even that was maybe too many people. But that's how it went down. So in Judges 8, verse 1, now the men of Ephraim, after they were asked to come down and, hey, come down and take these water wells that we've got for you, take these, take everything. You know, you can have the spoils. Now the men of Ephraim said to him, why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply, Gideon. So he said to them, and here's the soft answer. You can see the wrath, you can see the anger, the upset, brother. What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abizir? God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. That's all he had to do. He could have said, because God told me to do it. You know, there's a lot of different answers he could have gave. He says, you guys, you guys, you guys got the, you guys are great. You guys got to do so much. You didn't get to do that one thing, but you guys got to do so much. You get to do this, this, and this. And they're like, all right, as long as you, and the, you can see the idea. They're trying to bring down their the pride issue. You know, As long as you see us as equals, as long as you see us as capable, you know, of course, of course you're capable. It's just that that's not how this went down. And so that soft answer brought, the, brought them down. We can use that. But wisdom's to be used and, and, and to learn from, you know, because the other answer could have ended in a civil war. It could have been Ephraim versus, you know, the, the Gideonites, you know, and they're, and they're fighting all now because they don't get along anymore. Oftentimes, that's all it takes is one person to step towards grace in the conversation. One person to step towards grace and give out a little mercy and stop the escalation, you know. And so we're encouraged to do that. The writer here is telling his son, look, this is a wise thing to do. It, it, it you may feel slighted. You may feel wrong. You may feel like they're wrong. But to escalate this is only going to bring more heartache and more difficulty into your life. It's not going to make it easier. There's no solution. You're going to leave a wounded person behind. And a wounded person is a dangerous person. So be kind and let that soft answer turn away that wrath. Verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are, very, are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God sees all these things. God watches all these things, and he keeps track of all these things. Sometimes I like to make sure that God sees me do that good, that good deed that I did, you know. Um, and I want him attentive to those moments, right? But I also have to remember when, when he's attentive, he's attentive to all my moments, everything. And the, the story I got, I'm, I'm going to have to cut this a little short. I, I have quite a cross-reference here, so you can read it later on your own, but it's Daniel 5. And it's when they, in Babylon, they had conquered Israel. They had taken everything out of the temple of Israel. The Israelis are captive in Babylon. Well, they're having a party, the king is, kind of a victory party. 
and they're worshiping their gods, little G's and many of them. And they decide to bring out the implements and the utensils from that temple that they took and use the things that were for God in this party kind of as a, you know, thumb in their eye kind of thing. Your God's too small. We beat your God kind of thing. So they begin to do this. Well, God shows up at the party, and this is the infamous finger writing on the wall. That's where we get our phrase, the writing's on the wall. Well, this is it. God sticks his hand through some time warp thing. I don't know what it is. But the way he describes it, this finger begins to write, meeny, meeny, tuckno. Uh, what is it? Uh, I, I, I used to memorize these things, and I forgot what it was. Meeny, meeny, tuckle. Farsi, that's it. And, uh, and nobody could read it because what is this? You know, what's this language? First of all, they're all freaked out because they saw this giant hand come through and start writing on the wall. I would too. Nobody wants to see that happen. <laughs> but now we need to know what that says. And so they call in Daniel to say, could you interpret this for us? What does this mean? And what it is, is he's writing down that your days as being king, your kingdom is numbered and it's going to come to an end. He decided it at that moment. When you did that to, my impl- to the utensils in my place, when you begin to defame me and defile my things, I wrote that down. I want you to know that I write things down. We hear about him writing stuff down. In fact, in Revelation uh, twenty twelve, we hear about books being opened. What are these books? You know, and how everybody's going to be judged according to these books. And then the, the and there's another book called the Lamb's Book of Life. But that's not the other books. The Lamb's Book of Life is for every believer. Your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You want to make sure that's the case in your life. But there are the other books. And I think what, if you put those two together, what happened in Daniel, what happens in Revelation, I think God was just saying, don't, don't think I'm not keeping track of this stuff. You know, I watch over, Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. I'm keeping track. There is a rap sheet being written, you know, for the, for the felons, for the, for the convicts out there that are going to be standing before the great white throne judgment. There is a rap sheet. It's being kept track of. And every man and every woman will answer for everything. They will. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, what, you're, what that means is, what that salvation is from that rap sheet. From that, God keeping track of all those things, God took upon himself, Jesus at the cross, the judgment meant that's going to happen at the great white throne judgment for you at that time. So everything is finished for me as a believer. I don't stand before the great white throne judgment. I'm not going to be judged. I'm not going to be convicted. I'm free. I have salvation from that. And so the writer here is saying, son, make sure you understand this. God is watching everything. He's watching all of it. And he's keeping track of these things. Verse 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Um, Two ways to look at this. I usually go with the negative. I'm going to try to go with the positive this time. Imagine this. Our words uh, can do a lot of good. We know what our words can do on the other side of things. We don't probably even need to talk about that. They hurt. They can hurt. But our words can do a lot of good. And I am more apt to share negative comments than I am positive ones. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why that's a a thing. I'm I'm more apt to observe people's good conduct and inside of my heart saying, well done, that was amazing. Like I haven't even mentioned the ceiling here. Has anybody looked at the ceiling? (laughs) 
knows how to do all that? I didn't do it. Brothers and, a brother and sister came in here and spent all afternoon just driving around with that cart that's out there and just cutting. And if you've ever done this before, it is a pain to get them right, to get them. I mean, they even fixed our little hooyah over here. I don't know what's wrong with that. There's still a gap, but that's my fault. That's how I put those in. But they put all these tiles in. And I'm more apt to notice, oh, they didn't do that one right. Could you, could you work on that? As opposed to look at this amazing you know, thing. Our words have a great effect on people. Our kids need to hear us say, not only when they make mistakes or faults, but how good they're doing, how well they're doing. So important. Our parents, your parents, need to hear, Mom and Dad, I appreciate you. I think, I, I, I really see that. I, you know, I, I'm going to say this, I'm going to use this probably for the next year, but my deviled eggs, I'm going to keep bringing that up that I made. I made those. I made deviled eggs. I was exhausted. I was exhausted. My shoulder blades hurt. And I was, uh, you know, I was done. And I think about Thanksgiving meals that have been made for me in my history, in my life. Christmas meals, meals, period. More than one thing, you know, kind of thing. Very much appreciative now, more appreciative now. And I need to express that more, you know. Thank you. I wouldn't be able to walk after making a Thanksgiving dinner, let alone sit down and, you know, do all this. Thank you. And is there anything I can do to help? You know, anyway, our words could do a lot of good. It's a tree of life for people around us. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. And boy, do we need more of that in this world, don't we? For sure. Verse 5, a fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. It's foolish to not listen. Now, he's, he's the father writing this to his sons. It'd be foolish for you not to listen to me right now. Well, but it's true. I'm trying to tell you something. And the, and the instruction is correction. Now, there's no way to get around that. As a father, I can overlook some things that are just childish. There's a difference. But it's hard to overlook things and shouldn't overlook things that are foolish. There's a difference. Childishness is just immaturity and not knowing. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Foolishness is knowing and doing it anyway. And any one of us can fall into that category. And so it's important for us to do the correcting, to do the instructing. Look, that's not the right way to do things. We don't want to do that anymore, you know, kind of thing. Um, the first time he did it, it was in ignorance. But after I told you not to do it, now it turns into correction. You need to listen to me. So only a fool despises his father's instruction because it's meant to help you. It's meant to help you. Verse 6, in the horse house, excuse me, I've got, now listen, I, I know it says house, but it, I've written on the backside of my piece of paper and I can't read the words. I, want you, I can read. The house, in the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but in the, re, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. Now, what I took from that is, and you can, there's a lot of ways you can read that. Um, I don't know that you interpret it differently, but I think there's a lot of ways to read it. And, and what I took from it was um, righteousness, just walking with the Lord, um, is a treasure in and of itself. And I believe as we go through this text, he's going to talk about how it begins to elevate you. That walk of righteousness begins to lift you up in this world and helps you straighten your life out. By walking in righteousness, there is a progression. And you become, and if you follow the instructions of God like you're supposed to, 
you do get ahead. You do work forward. Your, your marriage is better. You may become more wealthy. I don't know. may not. That isn't required, and that isn't what you do it for. But there are things when you store up in the summer and you save for the winter, well, you're prepared and you have less stress. A lot of things happen when you walk in righteousness. And that's what he's saying here. There's a lot um, that comes from this. And another way to take it is when I'm a righteous person or when a righteous person has, they usually use the thing they have to bring about more righteousness in this world. They just do. And the wicked person who has more tends to bring more wickedness with what they have. Um, just, I mean, imagine a, a righteous person with a lot of money tends to help more missions, is the idea. And a wicked person has a lot more money, usually spends it on the wrong things. Let's just put it that way. Probably too many to name this morning. And so it breeds wickedness in this world because that's how they spend their treasure, whereas a righteous person spends their treasure for the kingdom of God. Verse 7, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. Um, That's important to share what you know. We were just talking about that out there in the hallway, talking about um, sharing uh, wisdom about... uh, Randy was telling me, telling us about how he, if you want to learn how to gut a deer, bring it over. We'll, we'll work it out. I'll tell you how to, I'll teach you how to do these things, you know. Sharing that wisdom is just a, a smart, wise thing to do, um, and it's a blessing. Um, we were talking about a class that there is, and, and somebody else mentioned it to me too, and I, so I don't know the name of it, and whoever you were that brought it up, I can't remember, maybe you can. But there's a, a group of men that are teaching men, modern men, how to do some of the basics, how to start a fire. You're like, well, everybody knows how to do that. Well, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. And then once you've got that fire, how do you go get a rabbit? And how do you skin a rabbit? And how do you, how do you prepare a rabbit? How could you eat a rabbit? And can you do that? Could you do all those skills? Not because we want to go back to Kate. We don't want to be cavemen. I'm all for Hy-Vee. You know, I'm all for going to the meat aisle. And that looks like a good cut. You know, I'm all for that. And what the guy said was, and, and there, is, there is an arrogant instruction, instructor and uh, and, and I've, I've run into a lot of instructors before, whether that's firearms instructing, an arrogant one is worthless, absolutely worthless. And then there's humble ones like this guy was. And he says, all we're trying to do is bring men up to the level of an 11-year-old in the 1900s, in the early 1900s. That's all we're trying to do. You ask any 11-year-old back in the early 1900s, they'd be able to do all these things. We've just lost these skills over time. We've degraded in, these, in this area. And he says, we're just trying to bring them back up to that level. We're not trying to go back to living in the forest, but um, it's important to have these basic life skills, you know, kind of thing. I thought, wow, 11-year-old, you know, and uh, interesting. So those are great examples, and there's many other examples. Uh, You can share your your knowledge of of Scripture, your knowledge of marriage, your knowledge of raising kids, your knowledge of canning, your knowledge of, 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 of anything, anything that you do. Sharing it, giving it out to other people is just wise. They disperse knowledge. They give it out. But the heart of a fool does not do so. They want to keep it to themselves. They want the advantage. They want other people to feel less than they are. You know, So that's a foolish thing. Verse 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. God knows the difference between these two things. Um, in the 1 Samuel 15, 22, um, so Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed uh, than the fat of rams. And the idea is the sacrifices are meant for mistakes, for sins that we've committed. He says, I'd much rather you just obey than to sin and bring a sacrifice to cover over it. You know, I'm all for pleading the blood of Jesus over my sins and current sins, and I'll continue to sin, hopefully less. But it's much better when I don't, obviously. You know? And so that's all he's saying. Is I, I prefer the prayer. So here's the thing. If I pray before I do, more than likely I'll do the right thing. If I pray before I do, I'll do the right thing, and I won't have to sacrifice anymore. See, sacrifices used to cost people money. It used to cost money. You know, you had to give up a cow. That's not cheap, you know, just because you felt like doing something stupid. And so now you got to give up a cow on Sunday or Saturday, you know, and take it to them and let them, and it had to be the best cow you had. Hmm. Well, it gives you pause, doesn't it? Do I really want to do this sin and keep my cow? I think I'll keep my cow, you know. Now that the blood of Jesus is there, it's a little more difficult. If you don't have a, a loving relationship with your I found a friend in Jesus, like we sang, then you don't care. Sin's easy. It's cheap. I just plead the blood of Jesus over it because I don't have those feelings towards him. And we got to be careful about that, obviously. It becomes cheap to sin. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. The second scripture I had was in Leviticus 10. And these guys came in. This is Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. And they each took his censer, their own censer, and put fire in it, put incense in it, on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke. This is what he told me. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. He just lost his two sons because they got, well, they offered strange fire before the Lord. It wasn't holy. They didn't regard God as holy. They thought anybody could, and they had no respect for God. And they lost their lives because of their flippancy about it. And before Aaron could lose his temper or begin to blame God or shake his fist as God, he comes in and he says, look, I did that because you need to learn. you got to come before me and, and know who I am. You have to know who I am. You can't just offer this profane fire. And I think that goes along with what we just read in Proverbs. A sacrifice of a wicked person, I don't want that, says God. I don't want you to continue to be wicked and offer sacrifices and think it's okay. Your sacrifices don't cover up that, that heart that needs to change. And so he's concerned about that. And so he tries to teach his son that. Look, pray and walk in an upright way. That's delightful to the Lord, but it's an abomination for a wicked person to bring these sacrifices. Verse 9. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows, who follows righteousness. And it's the same thing. I love that, he says. Verse 10. Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the sons of men. He sees all these things. If he's got control of of death and Hades, as he says in Revelation, he's got the keys to these things. How much more does he have to our hearts? I can see that, he says. I know what you're going on, what's going on in your hearts. I see that. And so there's harsh discipline for him who forsakes the way. I want you to come back. It's a very dangerous thing when you see a child walking in the wrong ways. 
Very important to bring them back. And, it, and, and I'm, all for, I'm all for being as kind and as gentle as possible. Minimum necessary, but necessary. It's up to them whether it gets escalated or not. But to get your kids on the right path is far, far more important than their feelings at the time. Oftentimes I see that in households, the, the tail wags the dog is the phrase. The tail wags the dog. It should be the other way around. The parents are supposed to be in charge, not the child. And so we can see this, and he's trying to say, look, son, harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way. Don't forsake the way. Stay on that path. The only reason I'm disciplining you or, or being harsh with you is because I see the danger. I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to die. I don't want to lose you. So important. Come back. Come back. Verse 12. A scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but the sorrow of the heart, um, the, uh, the, the spirit is broken. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Um, someone who scoffs, we've, we read about that last week too in, in chapter 14 of Proverbs. Um, they don't love the one that create, corrects them. They don't, they don't want it. They don't want to hear it. They'll avoid it. They'll run from it. Um, and that conviction sometimes can come from the Lord. And if, if we're not careful and we run from those convictions that God is bringing into our lives, well, we won't hear him anymore. You'll get so far away that you, you won't. You know, if you don't want to listen, he's not going to yell even louder. Um, the prodigal son has so much value in that story. You learn about the father. Look, this is, this is my house, and this is what it looks like to live in my house. This is what my people do. This is what I require of you. This is what I require of every man that works under me. You know? And if you want to leave and take your inheritance and go, that's fine. I'm sure the prodigal son could only hear memories of what his father used to say to him. But he couldn't hear his actual voice. He's too far away. But those memories, those things that the father had, had built into him and planted in him caused him to desire to come back. And he started to remember, oh, what I thought was so restrictive that was so hard for me to live under. Do this, don't do that. It's always dad's way. Now that I'm out on my own, living it my way, he finds himself in the pig slop. He finds himself in a position far worse. And then he began to understand the wisdom of what his father, this is why my father's house was run this way. There was wisdom behind that. And he comes back to that wisdom. So important. And that merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart of the heart, the spirit is broken. And I don't know if that's to, to each other, um, but I think that's for ourselves. I think we, can, we carry on our face how we are. We do. Um, it isn't always the case, but for the most part, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. It does. Um, and, and we want that. One of the things that came up was um, the joy or sorrow has little to do with the circumstances of the person. The merry heart and cheerful countenance was often used to describe the martyrs by Fox, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It was holy joy. See, my life doesn't have to be smooth and easy and, and, and lack uh, 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 trials and tribulations for me to have that merry heart that he's talking about, that joyful heart. And this is one of those things we were, I started with at the very beginning. Jesus expressed so many emotions, and he expressed them powerfully. Big, big emotions. Uh, so angry with the money changers that he was flipping tables. His rage or his anger became, became physical, you know, and it was righteous indignation. 
I'm going to pause there for a minute because I had someone saying, I have, this, I have such anger in my heart for what happened to me as a little girl. And she thought that was wrong. I said, honey, there's no other emotion to have. You should absolutely be angry about what happened to you. It's wrong. It should have never taken place. That anger that you feel inside is right. That's an okay thing. Some people think the idea of forgiveness and, and all this is to not have that emotion or, uh, or that feeling of that person. You know, it, it, she, she's molested. Of course you're going to be angry about that. And you should be. And you can be upset with the people that didn't do anything about it as well. That's, that's okay. That's a table-flipping moment for you. It also says, though, that Jesus was created, he was created with grief. Some people feel, oh, I've been grieving, I've been grieving. I just, I don't know. (laughs) Jesus knows how to grieve, and that's a part of it too. And don't don't think you're not supposed to grieve. You are. If you you love the person, you're going to grieve a lot. And and not always. I don't want people to walk away, well, I don't grieve very long. Maybe I didn't love them very much. No, people deal with it differently. I don't want you to go away feeling like, man, no, um, I don't grieve very long. I I grieve, but I don't grieve very long. It's usually about four or five hours of an intense flood of emotions. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do? That's just me, though. That's how I work. Um, But other people, it takes a long time. And Jesus grieved. He grieved over his friend, Lazarus, who he knew he was going to raise from the dead in a few minutes. So there's some intensity there and some normalcy there for grieving. Understand that. Sorrow. It says he was acquainted with sorrow. Also, Jesus was acquainted with sorrow. He's acquainted with rejection from his friends, always having to wonder why they're lagging behind him and arguing about who's the greatest. You know, um, <laughs> the night before the cross, everybody forsook him. That's a lot of loss, you know, and still able to give out grace and mercy, but still feeling all that at the same time. Joy. It says he was the gladdest man that ever lived. Hebrews tells us that. He's the gladdest man. What was he glad about? As far as I'm looking at all these, first of all, your 12 guys you picked, you probably could have picked better guys, you know. And, and first of all, no one's listening to you anymore. You've, you've switched to parables now because they've come dull of hearing. They're not listening to you anymore. So you've got 5,000 people that want food but not the word anymore. And you go through all these things. It's like, no, he was, he was a glad, glad man, you know, the gladdest. And it didn't have to do with his circumstances, you know. I mean, he had his moments. Zacchaeus was one of those sweet moments, you know. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And he's up in the tree, and he says, I'm going to your house today, you know. And he says, you're coming to my house. Yeah, I'm going to your house. And so they go eat at his house, and he gets so excited um, that he starts giving out all the money that he ripped everybody off from. Everybody knew he was a, he was a robber, you know. He, he was a tax collector. He's, I'm giving it all back, and I'm giving way more than they ever took. And Jesus said, man, salvation has truly come to this house. That was one of those moments where the face met met with the emotion, but not always. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So he had joy during the cross too. Difficult, horrible, worst day. As the sins of the world were poured out upon him at one point in time, that would have been a heavy day, but for the joy that was set before him. And so your emotions, our emotions are God-given and not to rule over us. We're to rule over them for sure. We don't get carried away by our emotions, but to express them is very important. That's, we're made in his image, and we're meant to do so. So anyway, your merry heart, that holy, holy joy. Um, 
And then he goes on, he continues on, um, uh, the heart of him who seeks understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. The fools tend to congregate together and eat more foolishness and become more fool. And my only thing that I could come up with as I was studying was just don't linger too long at the fool trough. You know, when you see a bunch of fools hanging out being foolish, you can look at it. I mean, you can walk by it, but don't hang out there very long. Get out of there as fast as you can, lest you become one of them. You know. Um, and I found a lot of places on <laughs> when I'm scrolling and, I, and I'm, looking, I'm like, oh, there's a fool trough. And I, I, yeah, I need to move on. They're, that's just stupid, you know, kind of thing. So moving on is very important. Stay away from the fool trough. Verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. You ever met somebody that enjoys or seems to thrive off of their suffering? I think my best example that I could come up with was the man who was at the pool of Bethesda and he couldn't get down to the water in time to be healed. And Jesus had a very pointed question for him. Do you want to be well? Because first of all, you shouldn't be at the very top of this place. If everybody's beating you, you probably ought to have one finger in the water at all times. And I don't know how it worked. It was a weird deal. The whole story is strange. But he had a good question for him. As you're sitting up here, you've been here for 27 years, you're at the top of the, you're not even near the water. Do you want to be made well? Or has this become who you are? Is this who you you're identify as? I'm, I'm the poor sad sack, you know, kind of person. And I think that's a question we all have to ask. There, everybody has afflictions. Everybody does. Not everybody expresses them maybe as much as everybody else or other people do. But we have to ask ourselves, do you, do you want to have a merry heart? Do you want God to come in or, or do you enjoy the affliction? Has it become who you are as your identifier, you know? And I think we need to ask that question of ourselves. He who has of a merry heart has a continual feast, regardless of the the affliction that comes their way. There's always that. There's always a, a reason to be joyful. It doesn't mean that you, again, hide the feelings of sorrow and loss and difficulties of trials, and we need to go through that. But you know the difference between, I can help you get out of that if you want. No, thank you. That would change who I am. I want to continue in this. Well, we want to be made well. And if we come to Jesus, his word says we will, and that he will heal us. And so we want to be that person. Verse 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. We had a family feast. Uh, at our house when I grew up, Christmas and Thanksgiving, generally speaking, Easter too sometimes, but mainly Thanksgiving. And for a while, we would split up and go to each of my parents' parents, you know, the grandparents' house. We'd go to Margaret and Iver, and then we'd go over to DNA, and you couldn't find a, two different groups of folks, you know. Uh, a and Dieta were, you know, broadcasters and TV, radio, station owners, and all this stuff. And these other two were educators, you know, just a kindergarten teacher. And uh, my, my, my grandfather had a doctorate from, or not a doctor, uh, a master's from Carleton or something like that, from Columbia, I think it was. Anyway, we were fine as long as we went to their house, and then we went over to their house. But when they got so old that they weren't cooking the meals anymore, we brought them together. <laughs> it's probably just best you not have the Thanksgiving dinner at all because they were like oil and water. 
oil and water. And D would love to just poke Ivor, you know. The meal was fantastic. My mom put on a spread, and there was tablecloths and napkins and china and silver and dish after dish and dish and everything. Again, very great. Couldn't believe that you can pull all that together and have everything come out hot. How do you do that? Amazing. Oh, we were so relieved when the dinner was over, though, sometimes, and everybody went home, and now we can relax and put on our sweats and have a joyful Thanksgiving, you know, kind of thing. Because, oh, the pressure's off. Because my poor mom and dad, they do want everybody to get along, and they just want them to all have fun, and it's just like, oh. And then D starts his thing, and Ivor's ticking back. Oh, boy. What do you bring to the table? That's all I can worry about. What do I bring to the table? I think that's all of us. We can all bring joy. We can all bring, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I don't need to pick on sides and say, yeah, D, you know, let's poke Ivor today. You know, let's gang up on him or whatever. Just what do you bring to the table of these moments? Who cares what the food is? Who cares if it's lettuce? It's better to have joy and love at that table. And everything, someone described to me, you know, well, we had you know, tuna mac and cheese for our, for our Thanksgiving, you know. But they were just such a joy in their face, you know. I'm like, what? No, th- no turkey, no cranberry sauce? I mean, you, gotta ha- you don't get that very often, you know. You got to have that. No, you don't. It's far better to have the joy and peace and love at the table. And we can bring that. As Christians, we need to bring that when we come to the table. Verse 18, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. Again, there's that pause, there's that waiting before you react. A wrathful man, he stirs up the strife, and that only gets worse and makes everybody uncomfortable and everybody sick to their stomach. But he who is slow to anger allays contention, tries to bring it down a notch, you know. Um, Verse 19, the way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. An interesting way to put it, you know. Um, I, I wrote this down. This is from Clark. He's a commentator. Because he is slothful, he imagines 10,000 difficulties in the way which cannot be surmounted. But they are all the creation or creatures of his own imagination, and that imagination is formed by his sloth. I do it, but, oh, you know, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. It's just impossible, so I'm not going to do it anymore. And the laziness, that slothfulness becomes, I would, but there's just too many obstacles to overcome. I can't do it. Some of the laziness, he says, is his spiritual life is uh, lived as if he were asleep. He once gave an effort to forsake sin, but did not follow through. His spiritual life is a hard way, full of thorns. Spiritual things seem long and dreary. The Christian life is full of thorny perplexities, problems, and misery. He may find that his way to heaven is blocked. That's what he wrote. Interesting. Sloth. It's like a hedge of thorns in a person's life. Verse 20. A wise son makes his father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Listen to your mom and dad. They know what they're talking about. Folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment, but a man of understanding walks uprightly. Uh, Without counsel, plans go awry, 
but in the multitude of counselors there, they are established. It's important to bring more people into it. Not everybody knows everything, but it's nice to have more eyes on the project for sure. It really does. And that's hard sometimes. If you know how to do stuff, it's hard to bring other people in who maybe don't know as much as you about how to do stuff. But sometimes their eyes can see from a different perspective and they can help in those things. And that's what he's saying. Great, you've got a plan and it's probably really going to work well, but bring more counselors into it and see what they say about it. See some of the things that maybe you missed or some of the things that could, unforeseen circumstances, I think is the best way to describe it. Unforeseen circumstances, bring them in. You might be able to tweak that plan a little bit better. I think we can read Nehemiah and you can discover that as he goes through his plan, he he changes his tactics a couple times throughout the process of rebuilding. You can look at that. Um, Verse 23, a man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. You'll hear that again and again. What we say matters and how we say it matters as much. It really does. It makes a difference. The way of life winds upward for the wise that he may turn away from hell below. Um, I try to encourage new believers as well as old believers who feel stagnant and stuck in their walk. It's a winding staircase up out of your whatever God saved you from. It's a, it's a long process. A mountain is climbed, it, it's, it's taken, it's conquered a step at a time. You know, I, I've, I've, I've been in situations where I, I don't think I could have taken another step. I had too much on my back to carry and I didn't think I could do it and people were passing me by. And uh, this is in the military, and, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I just don't have the legs for it. You know, I can do push-ups and pull-ups all day long, but my legs, were, they are and always will be, I'm afraid, my weakest point. I don't like running. I don't like walking. I can do push-ups, though. I love that. But my, my weakness is there. But as I saw these guys passing, and I just, just, I just ended up putting my hands on my knees and just doing one step at a time up this mountain. You know? And I did. I got it. I, did, I, I stopped looking at the peak. That was the key. You just look at the next step in front of you, and you just keep going. And pretty soon, I was, I had, that was it. That was the last step up. Now it's all downhill, which is just as hard, by the way, half the time. As a Christian, you are winding your way up out of the pit of hell. You've been saved, you know, your eternity with God, but your life still may look and reflect and still be bearing fruit from all the garbage that you did. And it's a, it's a climb, and it's a walk. And as you continue with the Lord, and the longer you continue with the Lord, the more you wind out of that. And that's what he's saying. Son, it isn't fast. It isn't an elevator or an escalator. It's a winding path up. The way of life winds upward for the wise. Verse 25, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant. Beautiful. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates a bribe or hates bribes will live. You don't realize, but your compromises do affect your whole home. They affect all the relationships that you have. Don't compromise. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Again, pausing, thinking, praying before you speak. There's thought put into it. The heart of the righteous studies how is the best way to answer because the goal of the believer with somebody else is to not 
run them off or scare them away or make them hate you or be right. You want to still maintain your integrity and maintain what God has called you to do, but you also want to win a brother or win a sister at the same time. Street witnessing isn't easy because the goal isn't to win the argument, but it can become that when you're trying to share with an unbeliever who has some knowledge. If there's an unbeliever, an atheist that has some knowledge and begins to make you feel stupid because you can't answer their intelligent questions that need answers, you can become emotional about it and all of a sudden try to win the argument as opposed to remember what you're here for. You came out to win souls. You know, Keep that in mind. Verse 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Then that's by their choice, not by his. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and a good report makes the bones healthy. We read that last week, didn't we? How there's actually some physical benefits to having a good, healthy relationship with God. Verse 31, the ear that hears the rebukes of life... (laughs) I hear a lot of them, will abide among the wise, the rebukes of life. What a great way to put it. It just means the outcome. (laughs) That's the rebuke. Why did this happen to me? Because you did this. Oh, now did you hear? Did you hear me? You know, Um, I've seen some firearms instructors, some YouTube videos of these guys, and these guys do this for a living, but they make mistakes too. And I saw that one with with the, he's got a revolver. Revolvers are just, they're horrible to work with. Um, but he's trying to show it. And he's talking to his guys like this. And all of a sudden, poof, and then he goes on like nothing happened. I'm like, you know what you did. You had your finger in the trigger and you had the, the hammer cocked and they're touchy. You know, they're funny that way. Um, did you learn from it? It's the key. You know, while you're talking, leave the hammer back and finish talking. And then when you're ready, now let's do it. But don't start your process and then finish what you're saying. You know, did you learn from those mistakes? And I'm picking on easy mistakes, you know. But we need to learn from them, all of them. Verse 32. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. It's for your good. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Um, When we were out in California, uh, before I came back, we were sitting with uh, we got to the restaurant. We all went out to eat. A bunch of guys asked me out to eat. You know, the loner, the poor, sad sack over there doesn't have any friends. So they invited me out to eat, and I was glad to do it, and it's, it's a blessing. And, and, but I showed up first at the table. You know, there's five guys walk in, and I walk in the door first. I'm the hungriest, so I go in first. And I'm looking at this table. I'm like, okay, now here's a parable. Where do I sit? Do I sit at the head? Or do I sit in the, in the middle, or where do I sit? And, and everybody, nobody wanted to take the head seats because we all know the scripture. If you sit at the head of the table, and that's not where you're supposed to be because you're not the guest of honor, and someone asks you, hey, could you move down to the other end? That's a long, humble walk back, you know, kind of thing. Whereas, <laughs> whereas if you sit in the low part of the, of the table, they'll ask you to come back up, you know, to the, to the, to the place of honor. Anyway, um, there's, there's wisdom in that to... To, to let God put you in that place and to take you to that place. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for our time this morning in your word. So much wisdom, so many different sections, Lord, um, that we can take to heart. Um, help us to bring to the table, to the conversation, to those around us, those, those life-giving words, the joy, the peace that we can bring to the table, the merry heart, um, the word fitly spoken, 
and all these things. Lord, we can do that. We, we can have an effect on people's lives with the way we speak. So God, I pray that you'd help us with that. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need any prayer before you go, come on up. Be glad to pray with you.